Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. How many of you have ever made promises to your kids around the holidays? Promises of something you're going to try to get them or a place you're going to try to take them for Christmas. And how many of you have ever had those promises broken, not because you didn't want to fulfill them, but because life happened? Maybe a winter storm hit when you were supposed to take a trip or maybe that present that you promised to get for them by the time you got on Amazon, you were waiting for that Black Friday sale and then it was out of stock. And, oh, you can order it, but it won't be here until January. How many of you have ever failed to keep a Christmas promise to your kids or your spouse or someone in your family that you love? You may not think often about Christmas as the gift of a promise kept. We look now back at Christmas almost 2,000 years ago, give or take But Christmas is a reminder for those who were looking forward to Christmas, they had some promises that they were waiting God to keep. They were waiting for God to keep those promises. Back in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised, He was speaking to Satan, but the promise was for us, that He was going to put enmity between Satan and the woman between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And that this seed of the woman, by the way, women don't have seed. Men have seed. Women do not have seed. So for this seed of the woman to be born, it had to be a miraculous virgin birth. But the seed of the woman was going to come and he was going to crush the head of the serpent. And ever since then, there has been this anticipation of a deliverer who was going to come. We in our fiction, whether it's mythology or pop culture, we often have the archetype of the deliverer, the great hero who comes to save the day. All of that imagery comes from that first promise. Isaiah makes sure that we understand that it will be a virgin birth and Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Lest there was any doubt, just a few chapters later in chapter 9, verse 6, we're told that unto us a son would be born, unto us a son would be given, and the government would be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and that he would come and set up a kingdom that would last forever. Micah 5.2 told us exactly where this everlasting God would be born. In a little town called Bethlehem. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're told 
whose heritage he would come from. Not just Abraham, not just Isaac, not just Jacob, not just Judah. But specifically, he would be of the house and lineage of King David. And on that Christmas night, whatever day of the year it was, September 11th, some think, almost certainly not December 25th, but whatever day of the year it was, when God entered the world from the womb of his virgin mother Mary and was laid in that manger, God showed himself. He gave us irrefutable evidence that he is the promise keeper. Second Corinthians tells us in Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, Paul says, but as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. You say, what in what in the world is he saying? Well, here's he explains it. Verse 24, all the promises of God in him are yea. And in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. In other words, when Jesus came on the scene, when God became a man, and then when he grew up and he became the sacrifice that was also prophesied. Daniel chapter 9 tells us the exact date that Jesus would ride into history when the Messiah would come and present himself. And it also tells us that he would be rejected, that he would be cut off, not for his own sin, but for the sins of the people. And that's exactly what happened. Again, we could debate the exact date of that. I believe AD 30. Most people believe AD 33. Some, there are some other uh, uh, dates that, that are tossed around and debated. I'm not going to unpack that tonight or at, at any time this season. But regardless of when the exact calendar date was, it was the fulfillment of that promise. Daniel chapter 9. And of course, Isaiah has told us how he would die. That he would be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace would be upon him and that by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah also goes on to say, even though he died, he would live again to see his offspring and to see his inheritance. We are the spiritual offspring of Jesus Christ. If you have ever admitted that you're a sinner who needs a savior, that Jesus Christ is the one and only savior died for your sin, rose again, the living Jesus Christ extending to you grace and forgiveness, but you must receive it, and you must receive it by faith. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It must be received as a gift, not of works. This is the season of gift giving. Many of you have already completed your Christmas shopping, right, Karen? You already got yours done? Uh, some others of you already have yours done? Good on you. I, I think I could stop right now. I, I could be done, but I'm probably not done. My wife told me I wasn't allowed to uh, uh, give her any more Christmas gifts this year. I'm going to tell on you soon and get myself in trouble. Not the first time. So I figured out a way around that. I'd just give them to her before Christmas. <laughs> she did like the gift I gave her today. So you can ask her about that later. As we give our gifts... Let us remember that Jesus Christ must be received as a gift, that his salvation, forgiveness of sins must be received as a gift. And we must, as Jesus himself preached on the day of his resurrection, we must repent of our sin. That means we turn from our sin and turn to him and we receive forgiveness by grace. If you call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10 says, Romans 10 promises you are saved. 
Christmas is a powerful reminder of the forgiveness of God. Now, I told you this morning that we're going to spend the month of December, not in 2 Corinthians, but we're going to spend it in the Psalms. And so we're going to turn to the Psalms tonight. But as you are turning there, and, and before you get there, don't cheat. Don't look in Psalm 89 and cheat. But before you turn there, and as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a little trivia question tonight. I'm going to start, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two. The first one is a softball. After the death of King David, who was the wisest man in all of Israel? Anybody? Solomon. We're told he was the, the wisest man, not only in all of Israel, in all the world. But how many of you know, and I did not realize this until just yesterday, okay? So, of course, when you get a, when you get a cool fact, you want to test it on everybody, right? My son has a funny uh, duck joke. I'm not going to tell you the duck joke from the pulpit, though. Not tonight, anyways. Not right now. You ask him about it. Who was the second wisest man in all of Israel? Who became the wisest man after Solomon's death? Now, we know this because in 1 Kings, we're told that the man that we're going to talk about tonight was wise and was famous for his wisdom, but Solomon was so wise that he was even wiser than this guy. His name, I know the suspense is just driving you crazy, right? His name was Ethan. Ethan the Ezraite, and he is the author of Psalm 89. Ethan, whose wisdom was so great that we're told how wise Solomon was because he was wiser and excelled even the wisdom of Ethan. Now, we don't know a lot about Ethan. We do find out in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31 and 1 Chronicles 2, 6 that he was of the priestly tribe of Levi, that he was uh, famous not only in Israel, but uh, in the surrounding nations as well. We find out that he had actually four brothers uh, so he grew up in a house uh, in a household with a lot of testosterone. He was he was one of the boys. But Psalm 89 was most likely written near the end of Ethan's life. Uh, after the death of Solomon and after the division of Israel into the northern and the southern kingdoms, as we read this, I'm not going to. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to get lost in the weeds tonight in the history. And there, there are there is some debate as, as exactly when was Psalm 89 written and what are the circumstances surrounded. But I think the best arguments can be made for what happened in Second Chronicles chapter 12. We're not going to take the time to go there. Let me just summarize it. Because of Solomon's sin, remember, Solomon was the wisest man. And yet even in his wisdom, he turned away from the Lord. He gave his heart to his uh, wild, wicked wives, and they turned his heart to the worship of other gods for a season. And then at the end of his life, or, or later on in his life, God confronts Solomon. He says, because of your great sin, I'm going to divide the kingdom. But because of David, I'm not going to divide it in your lifetime. I'm going to divide it in the lifetime of your son. And at this time, Solomon has a, an incredible uh, turn around, he repents of his sin, friend. It's never too late to repent of your sin. Never too late. Until you take your last breath. Then it is too late. 
But while you have breath, it's not too late. And King Solomon is, is one of the many testimonies in the Bible to that. And King Solomon repents and he turns his heart back to God and he writes what is my favorite book in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, a powerful, powerful book. Um, I had the opportunity uh, three uh, years ago to preach through Ecclesiastes. Those podcasts are available. I, if you did not catch them on the radio the, the past few months, I would uh, encourage you to listen to uh, those messages on Ecclesiastes or on our, our podcast. And by the way, you can find us on most of the main podcasting channels. You can go to Spotify or one of the other main podcasting channels and just search for Memorial Heights Baptist Church and uh, you can find those. Uh, and I appreciate all the work that our sound team does uh, to uh, record those and to get those out. I appreciate all the work that Elmer does in the CD ministry as well. By the way, we ha have CD ministry as well. Solomon repented, but because he had sinned, God kept God kept that promise, too, that he would divide the kingdom. And so after Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam becomes king. And Rehoboam was a foolish young man who was full of himself because he's he's the young king now and he's going to show everybody how much better he was than his daddy. And so the people come to Rehoboam and say, please, please, your father taxed us so much. Uh, uh, please lower the taxes. And he so he got together with his dad's advisors and they all said, and by the way, I suspect Ethan was one of these advisors. I can't prove that, but I suspect that uh, based on what we know about Ethan. And the advisors of Solomon said, don't, don't raise the taxes, lower the taxes. Listen to the people. Give them relief. Your dad, man, he taxed the people. You got to relieve, you got to cut back on the taxes. And, and all God's people should say amen, by the way. A little politics for tonight. But Rehoboam didn't listen to the wise men. He got his friends together. He got the young bucks together. And they said, oh, man, show everybody how much tougher you are than your dad. Man, your dad, he's old, dude. That guy, was, that guy wasn't cool. That guy was whack, man. He, he's a stiff. You got you to gotta show everybody how cool you are, how bad you are. So he raised the taxes, and the kingdom divided. And so it, there was a civil war. There was a break away, and, and all that was left of the kingdom of David and Solomon was Judah and the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And then at that time, even in that, Rehoboam began to prosper because he had God's blessing on his life because of because of the family that he was part of and because of his heritage. And yet because of the wickedness of Rehoboam, he started to get full of himself again. He didn't learn his lesson. And so he begins to turn to wickedness and the nation uh, followed him. Judah and Benjamin followed him. And so God judged him by sending in Second uh, Chronicles, chapter 12, by sending the king of Egypt and his army against Jerusalem. And the king of Egypt looted the temple of God and carried away many of the precious possessions that were devoted and sanctified and set apart for the worship of God and for the glory of God. And he took them back to Egypt. And it looked in that moment like all of God's promises were going to fail. It looked in that moment like all of those promises that God had made to King David, that God would give him an eternal throne, that God would set on the throne of David a king who would reign forever. It looked as if those promises were going to fail because of the judgment that was coming down on Rehoboam. But you know what Rehoboam did? Like his dad, 
he repented. He repented at the end, near the end of his reign. He repented, and God did not destroy him completely. He turned his heart back to God, and God was merciful to him, and God did not destroy Rehoboam. God did not remove. By the way, Jesus is the heir of David. He is the rightful king of Israel. He will come back and claim his throne, and he will reign from Israel, a literal throne in the literal city of God, Jerusalem, forever and ever and ever. But Psalm 89 appears to be written in that time of uncertainty. When Egypt has invaded and the enemy is not only at the gates, but in the gates, and Ethan is looking around and he has seen the uh, rise and fall of Solomon. He's lived a long life at this point, and he is crying out to God. And Psalm 89, which we're going to begin to look at tonight, and we're going to continue, Lord willing, to look at next Sunday night, is a testimony that God is praiseworthy, that God is powerful, and that despite the circumstances that are going on around us, God is always a promise keeper. So what do we do when God's promises to us seem uncertain? What songs do we sing? Psalm 89 is going to give us a model of how we should sing in the night when God's promises seem fragile. They are not fragile. They will not break. You do not need to worry about your seven-year-old knocking them off the table and shattering them, okay? Our praiseworthy, powerful promise keeper. I want to show you tonight from this great song how to maintain certain hope in uncertain times. So let's look here at the first verse. Number one, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Now, as I said this morning, these are songs, but the chords are not here, right? The, the arrangements are not given to us because you can put this to whatever music you like. So some of us have uh, learned the song, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And music is a great way to memorize scripture, by the way. You put, put scripture to music, it's easy to memorize. But you don't have to sing it that way. You can sing it however you want. You can put whatever music you want to this song. But the point is, you need to sing of the mercies and the faithfulness of the Lord. I want to encourage you again, as I did this morning, to sing of the mercy. I, some of you, maybe, maybe it's a joyful noise made unto the Lord. Well, that's all right, because the Bible tells us, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. You know, I, uh, it's so sad um, when you see Ecclesiastes 12 talks about what happens when you get older and how you need to serve and remember your creator in the days of your youth before the dark days come and before you're not able to do the things that you used to do when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s and even uh, a little bit older than that. Because at the end of his life, Solomon couldn't do all the things he used to be able to do. And it's so sad. My, my grandparents are very musical. My, my dad's mom and dad and grandma was the church pianist for years and years. She played by ear, um, uh, beautiful pianist. Um, and my grandfather would always sing in like the men's quartet and, the, and they both sang in, in choirs and they my grandfather just had a, a great choir voice. And 
Um, but then at the end of their life, that he couldn't sing anymore and she couldn't play anymore. And it was just so sad to see while you are able. With whatever voice you have, sing to the Lord. And specifically here, we're told us that we are to sing of his mercies and his faithfulness, because this helps us to remember to celebrate those things as we praise the Lord. This is why we have so much Old Testament scripture. This is why we have so many stories, which are histories of God's faithfulness in dark times, in troubled times. I said I said it this morning. I'll share it again. Romans 15 verses four through five. Paul says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Might we have hope? We, we need to get into those stories and the scriptures so that we can see how God over time, it takes patience. We want to, we want to jump right to the comfort. We don't want to wait to be comforted at all. But God says, if, if you want to get to the comfort, you got to work through the patience of scripture. You got to do the work. You got to get in the word. You got to study the word. You got to memorize the word. You got to, you got to graft it into your heart. You got to do the word. And that takes time. And that takes uh, takes work. But as you do the work, the patience of Scripture will bring you the comfort and our heart will be focused on hope. Verse five of uh, Romans 15 goes on to say, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. We sing and celebrate the mercies and the faithfulness of God. The word mercy, by the way. Uh, sometimes we misuse this word mercy. We use it in a very limited sense. You know, I remember being told, you know, grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve and mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. That is a very narrow view of God's mercy. That, that's not how the Bible uses the word mercy. It uses it in a much bigger way. Mercy in the scriptures is strength being given to weakness. See, an act of mercy is not what I don't do. An act of mercy is what I give to somebody who needs. That is an act of mercy. We have needs, and we need those needs to be met. And God is the God who, in His infinite strength, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians later at the end of the book, when I am weak, He is strong. His strength is actually made per perfect. It's perfected, or, or it's shown to be perfect to us in our weakness, because when we are weak, that is when we are to depend on God. When I'm when I'm not weak, I don't think I need to. When I got money, I don't think I need God. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a, 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 a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Now, it's not impossible for God because God can humble a rich man and God can bring him to awareness of his spiritual need. God can bring him to an awareness that riches do not satisfy. I shared with you a, a few weeks ago after the tragic death of Matthew Perry, some things that Matthew Perry wrote in his autobiography, how he thought that um, uh, drugs and alcohol were going to fill the void in his life and, and it, it was making things worse. And then he thought, well, when I get famous, when I get famous, when everybody knows my name, and he said, uh, you know, that first year of Friends, the, the television show, the, the, the fame of all of the cast exploded. Everybody, people all around the world, everybody in our culture, even before I uh, 
had ever watched an episode, I, I recognized the people that were, were in the show because of how visible they were on magazine covers. And he, he said after about a year of that, I realized, oh, wow, fame's not going to help me either. Fame's not going to satisfy me either. And he had a spiritual encounter. I don't know uh, whether it was an encounter with the true God. I don't know if it was a true conversion encounter. I don't know that. I'll know that when I, when I get there. I'll see if he's there or not. Uh, but I do know that he recognized before his death that money and fame and substances cannot sate the hunger and the need in our soul. Only God can do that. God is the God of mercies. And Ethan is reminding himself that God will be merciful. He will give strength to the weak and he will remain faithful. Listen, even when we are not faithful. Paul would tell Timothy, when we are faithless, he is still faithful because he cannot deny himself. I love what David wrote in Psalm 23. About our shepherd, our good shepherd, when Jesus is your shepherd, he will lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, because he puts his name on you. Because you, when you become a child of God through, through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, when you call upon Him for your forgiveness, turn to Him and trust in Him and you're forgiven and you receive God's grace, you also become adopted into the family of God. And just like our kids don't always listen to us, we don't always listen to Him, but we're always His kids. And he is, His name is on us. And He's faithful to His own and he loves you more than you love your own kids or your own grandkids. So sing of the mercies and faithfulness of the Lord. Find you some praise and worship songs. Get into the lyrics. Dig down into them. Make sure that they're theologically sound. Maybe they're, maybe they're songs we sing here. Maybe they're songs that we don't sing here, but that you hear on the radio or that maybe you've got a, uh, some of you still have CDs. Uh, maybe you've maybe you got a CD player. You got, some of you may have still cassettes that work. Maybe, you still have, maybe some of you all still have the 8-tracks, but maybe some of you all have records. Whatever you got. I don't, know, I don't care. Whatever you got. Maybe you got a guitar like Andy. You can just play it yourself. Find you some songs about God's faithfulness and his mercy. And when you're struggling, go to those songs and sing them to him so that you can refocus and remind yourself of his faithfulness and his mercy in dark times. Here's the second thing that Ethan does. Look at verses two through three. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. Why? Because I have made a covenant. Now it's God speaking. Ethan is speaking prophetically now. God is speaking through Ethan. And God says to us, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Again, we're not going to take the time tonight to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, but that's where you can read about David's desire to build God a house and God saying, no, you're not going to build the house, but uh, I, I, got, I got something better in store for you. You are going to have a seed who is going to reign on uh, your throne. He will sit forever and ever and you will have an everlasting kingdom through your descendant. And uh, later on, David would write, would prophesy, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit on your throne until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Jesus would quote that, and he'd ask the Pharisees, he said, how could, how could David uh, speak to his descendant and call him Lord? How, did, how is it that David could call his descendant his Lord and God? And, of course, they didn't have an answer. The answer was standing there in front of them. The, the, the seed of David, the son of David, the God-man son of David, the fulfillment of that promise standing in front of them. They didn't see it. But see, Ethan remembered the covenant of da- that God made with David. Now, th- this is important. David was chosen by God. Not chosen for salvation. Chosen for service. When it, whenever the word election or chosen in Scripture, whenever you look at the context, it always deals with service it always deals with God with something that God wants us to do Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it's the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast verse 10 says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has appointed for us beforehand which God's ordained beforehand that we should walk in them we're chosen for what we do as believers if you are in Christ If you have faith in Christ, if you are a child of God, you are chosen by God and he has a purpose for you. It's not the same purpose as he had for David, but you also are someone who is chosen. And here's why we look at the at at David. Here's why David is a model for us. David wasn't perfect. David failed. Big time failed. I mean, here's David. He he's married. He's. Got power. And comfort that was all given to him by God. But there was a woman that was bathing on the rooftop. And he's standing up on the palace. And he's checking this Bathsheba out. And he decides that he, he's going to have an affair with her. And he has an affair with her. And he finds out that she got pregnant. And so instead of repenting, he decides, well, how can I trick her husband into spending the night with his wife? And his servant, his faithful warrior, one of David's mighty men, Uriah, the Hittite, was more faithful than David to his duty. And so ultimately, David said, well, I, I don't want to get caught. I don't go, I'll, just, I'll just have him killed. I'll just make sure he gets killed. He has him killed. And God didn't say, I'm done with you. Adultery, murder, those are two of our big ones, right? I mean, we got our we got our list. Those are two big ones. God said, David. You're going to. When I get you home, you're going to get a whooping for those. And David paid bitterly for those. But he did not lose. God's faithfulness to him. God disciplines us when we sin. Don't don't think that because we don't think I, well, I can sin and I can just pray and God will forgive me and nothing going to happen. No, that is mocking God. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. God will discipline us as his sons and as his daughters, but he will remain faithful. He will discipline us because he loves us, not because he doesn't love us anymore. And so David's David's covenant that God made with him and God's faithfulness to David and to the promises that he made to David, despite David's sin, is what Ethan is focusing on to remind himself that God didn't fail David when David sinned. So why would God fail the covenant God made with David because of his grandson? Why, if God didn't take the covenant away from David, 
when David sinned, why would he take it away from David when his grandson sinned? And so he's reminding himself that God is faithful. God keeps his promises even when we sin, even when we fail. And yes, it looked because of Rehoboam's sin, it looked like the kingdom was going to completely collapse in that moment. And Ethan is is going, God, what are you doing? And so he goes, you know what? I'm going to get back into what God has promised. I'm going to look at that covenant that God made, and I'm going to strengthen my heart through that. Look at verse 4 again. Uh, Verse 4 says, Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah means, uh, I I believe, stop and, and think about that. Stop and think about that. By the way, as with the, uh, the, the psalm we looked at this morning, Psalm 42, Psalm 89 is also a maskil. And that word maskil probably, probably means meditate on this. Medi- uh, uh, this psalm is not just given to you to, to, to memorize and sing and to go on your merry way. It's given to you that you would, would marinate your mind in, in some of these things that, that God has given to us. It's, it's, it's a song that we're to think about. You know, sometimes we have songs that are just silly, silly, silly jingle songs that we sing. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with even some some nice praise and worship songs we teach our kids. And, and maybe we like them even more than our kids sometimes. You know, it's just some of those silly praise songs that we that we learn when we're kids. Nothing wrong with that. But we also need some deep songs. We also need some hard to listen to songs. We need some songs that really grip us with what God wants us to learn. And so we're reminded here, number three, that we are to focus when when. Listen. When the political spectrum is collapsing. As what was happening in in Rehoboam's day, what was happening in Ethan's day. When the political leaders were so evil and wicked that everything is starting to fall apart and it looks like everything's going to collapse. Ethan reminds us by the Holy Spirit to focus on the eternal throne of David's house, not on the temporary throne of man's kingdoms. We're getting into we're heading into another political season. Get ready for another lockdown. okay? just get ready because we're heading into another political season. We all have our hopes and dreams for who the next president will be, for who the uh, next congressman or senator will be. But here's the thing. That cannot be our hope. That cannot be our hope. Our hope is in the man, the God man, who will sit on the throne of his father, David, and will rule the nations with a rod of iron. King Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua ben David, Jesus, son of David. That is our hope. That is Ethan's hope. Ethan is reminding himself. He doesn't know Jesus' name yet. Jesus hadn't come yet. But all he knows is the promise. He knows the promise made. We know the promise kept. So this should be even more encouraging for us than it was for Ethan. This should be more even settling for us than it was for Ethan, that God has made a promise of an eternal king. And now we know his name and now we know what he's like. Now we have seen him in the pages of Scripture and in the annals of history. And now we have the comfort of knowing the king that we serve. I'm proud to be an American, but I'm just here as an ambassador, folks. I'm just here as an ambassador of my my kingdom is not here. Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter 3, listen, set your mind on things above. You died. Your life is hid with Christ on high. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, we're going to be with him. So, so yes, get involved in politics. Yes, vote. Yes, vote in person. Yes, do what you need to do politically here, but don't get so caught up and think that that's what's going to fix things, because it ain't. Jesus is going to fix it. We are here as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and that is what was securing Ethan, and that's what needs to secure us as well. Now, we're not going to, again, finish this psalm tonight, but let me just give you a few things. We're going to look at verses 5 through 18, and then I'm going to pull four things out of, these, out of these verses before we close. Look at verses 5 through 18. Let's read them together. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, o Yahweh, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. So he's talking about what's going on in heaven and what's going on here on earth. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto Yahweh? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is a strong Yahweh like thee unto thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves thereof arise. Thou stillest them. This is a prophecy and Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Jesus spoke to the waves and said, peace be still. And in so doing was saying, I am the God of Psalm 89. Verse 10, thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine. The earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm. Strong is thy hand and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Yahweh, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day. And in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. Now he's speaking at a time that I, I know we haven't read about it yet, but it's in the it's in the second half of this psalm. He's speaking to us in a time that it is not safe. To be a Jew in Jerusalem. Things have not changed much in the last few thousand years. But he said, regardless of what's going on in, in the in political leadership, regardless of what's going on with the enemy at the gate, I can praise in the Lord. I can do that all day long. I can sing God's praises all day long. This is Paul and Silas in jail, in chains, feet, in stocks, probably rats running around. If we know anything about the prisons of that day and some of the prisons of modern day in the world uh, around today uh, and other places today where they don't um, uh, treat their prisoners like, um, you know, giving them TVs and, and libraries and stuff. That's not what that's not what Paul and Silas were experiencing. They weren't even just in solitary confinement. They were in shackles. They were in chains. They were praising God in it, though. They were praising God. And at midnight, while everybody's listening to them sing, going, man, why are these guys, why are these guys so happy? Why are these guys singing? Don't they know where they are? Are they touched in the head? Don't they know where they are? And then all of a sudden, everything starts to shake. And the prison walls fell and the chains fell off. And everybody is so shocked and stunned, they don't take off running for freedom. They're just all there like, okay, something, something big just happened. I'm going to wait and hear what these guys have to say about it. 
When we praise God in the times of darkness, when we praise God, let, let, let me read these, these next two verses. Verse um, 16, in, in thy name they shall rejoice all the day, and thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. Now again, let me give you uh, a couple of things here of how we praise and fear God in the congregation like the angels praise Him in heaven. Ethan says, I need to praise God and I need to fear God in the midst of circumstances just like the angels are doing in heaven. And here's four reasons. Here's the four things I want to give you uh, before we close. I'm not going to unpack these, but let me give them to you before we close. Number one, for His incomparable strength and faithfulness. Man, I need to sing some songs about how big God is and how strong He is and how faithful that He is to us as a warrior and as a creator. Number two, for His perfect justice and judgment, verse 14. I mean, we don't have a perfect court system. Man, it's like you're half afraid to go to court, not because you know you're not right, but because you don't know if the court's going to do what's right. I mean, we, we have so much chaos and confusion in our society today because we have, we have embraced, we talked about this in our Sunday morning Bible study, we've embraced worldly wisdom. And worldly wisdom, James chapter 3 tells us, produces confusion and evil. That's the only two things it can produce. It doesn't produce peace, it produces confusion. It doesn't produce goodness, it produces evil. That's, what we, that's why we see our culture not just, not just uh, um, uh, descending into chaos, but free-falling into chaos. But God's throne is perfect. His justice is perfect. His judgment is perfect. And so we need to sing and focus and praise God for his perfect justice, for his judgment. We need to trust the judgment of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, look, we're just supposed to, guys, we're just supposed to be God's stewards. All we are are stewards. And because I'm God, by the way, Paul says, because I'm God's steward, you don't get to judge me. Only God gets to judge me. He says, I don't, care. I don't care what you guys think of me. He said, I don't care how you judge me. He said, I don't even judge myself. Paul says, I, don't, I, I look at myself and I don't see any major issues. He said, but that's not what makes me guiltless. The Lord judges me. We entrust ourselves to the judgment of God. Number three, we praise God and we fear God for his mercy and for his truth. You guys know I love conspiracy theories. Um, by the way, last few years, conspiracy theorists, we're, we're up about uh, 200 to nothing uh, on uh, what's been going on in the world today. But you, I've, I've been asked before, why are you, why are you in so into conspiracy theories? I'll tell you, Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man, every one of us, we have to make sure we're, we're not just lying to others, but that we're not lying to ourselves because we have a deceitful heart. That's why I believe in conspiracies, because we're all liars in our sin nature. We all want to justify ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We can tell ourselves that we were justified in what we know was wrong. But God is truthful always. And God gives strength to the weak, and he gives us his truth in his word. His spirit leads us in his truth and in his words. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we praise him for that. We need to praise him. When's the last time 
you thank God for a hard truth you didn't want to hear. Some of you have had to thank somebody for a hard truth that you want to hear from them. Right? They told you something, man, you got mad, you didn't want to hear it, but then you thought about it, and you're like, oh, man, they're right. Oh, I don't want to tell them they were right. I guess I should tell them they were right. Well, how many times has God told us what's right, and we didn't want to hear it? I t- I've told you before, there's a lot of things in this book I do not like and I do not agree with. You know why? Because I'm a sinner, and it offends me. It's not what's wrong. It doesn't need to change, and it will not change for me. I need to change. My heart needs to change. And so this is the standard that God has given us for his mercy and for his truth, and we need to praise and thank him for that. And then uh, number four, we, we praise him and thank him, verses 15 through 18, for the blessings that he gives us, for the joy that he gives us, and for the power that he gives his people. Some of you have been through some things. You've been through things that, are, that I have not been through, and, and I pray I never have to go through, but you've been through them, and you, you know how you got through them. You got through them because God gave you the strength to do it. God gave you the strength to do it. You, you were heading into this storm, and you thought, there's no way I can do this, and you were right. In and of yourself, in your own flesh, you would not survive, but you weren't in your own flesh by yourself. There was someone in the storm with you, and he got you through it, and he'll get you through the next storm. He'll get you through the next storm. If you trust him, he gives you the ability to do whatever he's called you to do. And so we need to praise and thank him for those blessings and for the joy that we have and for um, the power that he gives to his people. And let me just say one more thing before we close tonight. We'll pick this up, Lord willing, next week. Let me just let me just point out one thing here from these verses. We praise God. We are to I know I'm speaking to the Sunday night crowd, right? We're to do this in the assembly of the saints. We're to do this in the congregation. We, we don't gather primarily. I don't gather primarily tonight for me. When I'm not preaching, I don't gather primarily for me. Now, is there benefit to be had for us? Absolutely. But we are here first and foremost for him. To be his called out assembly in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, to be his called out assembly, his ecclesia, his church. And that's why we gather publicly and that's why we gather corporately and that's why we sing corporately. It's not because, oh, I like the sound of that song. It's because he deserves to be praised. In heaven, he's being praised. On earth, not enough. Not enough. We need to gather and praise him and worship him and glorify him because he is infinitely strong and undeniably and incomprehensibly faithful because he is perfect in every judgment that he makes and he is always just. That's why Jesus had to die for you. Your sin had to be paid for. And God wanted to bring you into his family, but he, but he had to do it according to his justice. And so his son absorbed God's wrath for you so that if you will trust him, you can be forgiven so that if you will call out to him, you can have uh, amnesty from all that you've ever done and you can have eternal life and you can be born again. He is. Infinitely merciful. And always truthful. And what a blessing he is, what joy he brings our hearts and how he gives us the ability to do what we could never do on our own. 
for all those things we gather to praise him. Let's go to him in prayer as we close. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, God, for your justice. I thank you, God, for the hope that you give us above and beyond the chaos of the world around us, whether in the days of Rehoboam or the days of Biden. God, you give us hope and you give us a real, eternal, always truthful, always trustworthy, infinitely wise king, Jesus Christ. And so, Father God, may we remember this season that the songs we sing at Christmas are not just pretty songs, but they are songs and to be songs of worship and praise for the God who became a man, who died for us, and who lives again, and who's coming back for us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you just a few moments. We're not going to sing a song, but as Andy plays, I want to give you just a few moments. If you have a need, the altar is open. Uh, Dave is here. Uh, We have others who are here who can pray with you. I just want to give you a moment. If If you have business to do with God, to do it tonight before you leave. Father, once again tonight, we come boldly before the throne of grace to find your mercy and to find your grace in the time of need. God, our needs tonight are many. They're different for each and every one of us. The needs in our church are are many, God. There are many who can't be here tonight because of sickness or other reasons. God, we, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and grace. And Father, we just one more time before we go home tonight want to praise you for that. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll see you on Wednesday night at 6.30. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301 724 5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.